Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello and welcome to another episode of Telling Everybody Everything. I am tired. I am so tired. And I know that everyone's sick of hearing about that, but I actually did have surgery yesterday. So I feel like today, if any day, I have a little bit of an excuse. First of all, we've been promoting parental guidance that is on Mondays at 9 p.m. on W Channel. And you can also watch the entire series, stream it for free on the UK TV Play app. I have loads of messages from people in other countries asking how they can watch it, and they can't unless they disgustingly and illegally download a VPN service such as Tunnel Bear or VPN Express, to name a few, and then log into UK TV Play for free. You have to sign up, but I mean, don't access it in another country because you're not allowed. You're not allowed. It's not streaming anywhere else that I know of. I don't know how you can access anything where you live because I don't live there. So, you know, my mom always told me growing up, go for the geek. If you're a nerd, you have a child that's a nerd, an uncle, or you're married to a nerd, you should know how to get it. And like, they're the people who are going to save the world. But please don't get it because it's unethical. It's doing very well. Everybody loves it. We've had so much press for it. Thanks to my good friend, Jonathan Hackford, who's doing my PR now. I did say for a while that like, I don't think someone like me really needs PR because I just come on this podcast and say whatever I like. And then they put it in the tabloids anyway, or I go on social media and I say whatever I like, and then you can hear about all my news from there. But I think that when you have a traditional you know, television show or TV project, something special to promote, you're just not getting the same mileage. And I left the world of PR for a while. I'm back in, back with my one true love, Jonathan. And he's just exceeded all of my expectations. And hey, sometimes even TV's Catherine Ryan is wrong about things. I was wrong, Jonathan. You were right. I was wrong. I believe I sent him a groveling video, just being like, you're young, I'm old. You're smart, I'm stupid. Will you take me back? Not afraid to admit when she's wrong. So here's why I had surgery. First of all, you know I don't sleep. I'm still co-sleeping with the babies. Fred sleeps through the night on occasion. He's two and a half. If you have small children at home, then I'm thinking of you and... I hope that you are getting some sleep. And hopefully, if you're not, it is around the corner. Fred's doing very well. He wakes up, though, for peas, and that's the double-edged sword of potty training. So last night, both kids were up three times each. That's six times for me. And also, I couldn't sleep because I was mashed on cocodamol. I've been feeling unwell. I have lupus. I'm old. I have two small kids. I never sleep. So I just think to myself, Catherine, maybe it's just your destiny to feel unwell. They say kids get eight colds a year. I have three kids. I have 24 colds a year. I have a cold right now, but I've been losing weight. I can't drink alcohol anymore. I feel a little bit nauseous often as though I'm a little bit still pregnant. And that was odd. I breastfed for a long time. And then I got my periods back just at the beginning of this year or maybe December around Christmas time. Thank you, Santa Claus. So I went to my private doctor and I said, you know, we might want to have another baby I'm not sure what's going on. I don't feel that well at the time. It might be just worth doing a scan to see, A, how many follicles I have left. Test your blood to see your AMH, which isn't a full, you know, because AMH will tell you how many eggs you have approximately, but it doesn't tell you anything about the quality of those eggs. Follicles, uh, visually seen on an ultrasound, can tell you if you still have the facility to make and release eggs, but again, you don't know the quality of the eggs. As it turns out... I have very young fertility. My AMH is always high. It's like 15 and I have about 15 follicles. So that all looks good. 
But you know, every month is a different egg. It, it could be a bad one. It could be the right one. It could be the wrong one. And then it also has to implant to achieve a successful pregnancy. We are not actively trying yet. I have things to do. I have a lot going on this year that I just, you know, we need a little break from having babies. <laughs> I can't really be in the newborn zone nine months from now because I have a project that will soon be announced. It's weird that you're like, I have an announcement coming up. You're not allowed to say what it is. Will I be coming to a town near you? Probably. Am I allowed to officially tell you that? No. Will tickets be on sale for that soon? Yes. Has Jonathan sorted a place for me to officially tell you that within the next week or so? Uh-huh. But I'm not allowed to talk about it yet. Um, so I just don't want a newborn during that time. But I wanted to know sort of what kind of breathing space I had. It's like, well, do we have a choice? Or is there some more time? It seems like there might be some more time. I don't know. If the universe gives us a baby, great. If not, honestly... I'm slightly relieved. So if you watch Parental Guidance, you'll know that Bobby and I have this conversation about a fourth baby back and forth. We just haven't decided, and it feels like I don't have to decide right now. However, in the scan, the doctor was like, oh, I've never seen that on you before. You have a little bit of calcification, just a little bit, which is like on a scan, a really little bright white area in your endometrium. And she said that could just be something that'll flush out in your next period, or it could be in the lining, it could be attached to your uterine wall, like we don't know. What we should do, if you wanna have another baby at some point, is come back, fill it with saline through a little tube to stretch out the uterus and have a closer look and see what we see. So during my next cycle, I went back and that little bit of calcification was still there. I said, what could calcification be from? She's like, well, it could be scar tissue, but you haven't had a C-section. Sometimes you get scar tissue from uh, an abortion. And I did have surgical management of two miscarriages, which is, you know, trigger warning when the contents of that miscarriage don't fully expel and you have to go and have a DNC, which is effectively the same procedure as an abortion. But I had my miscarriages before I had Fred and Fena, and we never noticed any calcification on those scans where I didn't have any problems throughout those pregnancies, but who knows, it could still be scar tissue from later. I'm just saying, cause I don't know if you know that, I didn't know that. Or you could have polyps, you could have a little bit of endometriosis, you could have just calcification for no reason. Or, and this is what I perceive probably happened, this is my hypothesis, a little bit of Fena's placenta was left behind after she was born. And the doctor was like, yeah, it could be that as well. It's not a whole lot, but it's some. And over time, it'll get hard and calcify in there and turn into scar tissue because it doesn't belong there. And it's probably Fena's placenta. Leave it to Fena to like leave a shoe behind or a handbag. You know, she's her mother's daughter. So I was like, oh, and they said, well, what do you want to do about that? It would be a good idea to come back, have a general anesthetic, get a hysteroscopy where they go in with a little bit of a bigger tube and it can be quite painful, which is why they don't always put you to sleep, but at the private hospital, they put you to sleep. Plus it's like three grand, so they love it. And they go in with the little camera and again, I think they put saline or air in your endometrium to like inflate your uterus a bit so they can see better. And they take a look with a camera. And I saw the photos from the camera. It's a really good, you know, high definition, stunning light, <laughs> really great camera. And I could see the openings of my little fallopian tubes and I could see just a little bit of calcification. And the doctor said, after the surgery, when he showed me the photos, he's like, I went in, I just like scraped that out. So that's gone now. But I thought it was very interesting because I just wanted to get it out because again, I'm privileged. That comes as a surprise to no one. I have private healthcare. I don't really want Fena's placenta left behind. Maybe it's making me still feel a bit pregnant. Maybe it's making me feel a bit sick. Perhaps I'll be able to have half a bottle of white wine this weekend with my husband after everyone goes to sleep for a bit. Who knows? But there will be people wondering why they have something called secondary infertility. And again, we haven't been trying yet, but there is a possibility that with any calcification, even a little bit, that an embryo would have a tough time implanting. On the NHS, I'm not sure that they would offer you a scan if you just randomly went in and you were like, I'm getting thin and I feel tired. They'd be like, yeah, you're old and your kids don't sleep. I don't know. And I do think that on the NHS, they would maybe do a hysteroscopy after a while of waiting and you wouldn't be asleep. Me, I love a general anesthetic. I think I freak out the doctors when they're like, oh, and by the way, it's a general. I'm like, yes. They kind of look at me like, ma'am, 
and I, I've never taken street drugs. I think everyone who knows me is well aware of that. I'm not, uh, I think it's an important message. I think especially for the young people listening to my podcast or not so young is the message is like, everyone takes drugs, everyone. And that's not true. Like everyone does not. And when I was very young, a lot of my friends were drinking. They never pressured me to drink too. There was never this narrative of like, everyone drinks. Genuinely 15 years old, I'd go to parties. I hung out with kids a little bit older than I was. And they'd be like, oh, do you want to drink? And I'd say, I don't drink. And the reaction was genuinely like, that's cool. They thought it was cool. So if you think everyone vapes and you think everyone takes street drugs and everyone, no, they don't. I'm one of the coolest people alive and I never have. I've never smoked, I've never taken drugs, but man alive, do I love a general anesthetic? Because when they put it in, uh, it just feels like the, they go, here's the champagne. And Bobby said to me, did they really give you champagne? No, they just put a little cannula in my wrist and they're fun and they're chatty and they're nice. And there's this male nurse who works there from the Philippines and I really love him. He's just always funny. I've met him before. Like, God, I love my doctors. And I went, I fell asleep and I walked into that office so tired in the first place because I had a really bad sleep the night before. Came out of the surgery, had a little break from the kids, looked at some TikToks in the hospital bed, watched Allison Hammond and Dermot on this morning. And then I got a takeaway from the inner city of London and I went home and it was a great day. But on my way out, they gave me a little prescription bag. The pharmacist came in and he said, oh, here, after this hysteroscopy, it's advisable to take a little bit of estrogen. Oh, I forgot to take it today. Uh, so that there's less chance of recurrence of this calcification. So take estrogen three times a day for a bit. And here's some cocodamol and a laxative because cocodamol make you constipated. And I was like, what? Like cocodamol for what? And he's like, oh, you might have some pain and a little bit of bleeding. And I was like, listen, you don't know me very well. I am tough. I had Fena in my bedroom, which is probably the type of cowboy labor that left some of her placenta inside. But I was like, I won't be needing cocodamol. He's like, well, you know, you should just have some if you feel any pain, it's fine. And I said, well, I've had sulpidine before. Is that the same as sulpidine? He said, no. Sulpidine is either eight or 12 milligrams of codeine and cocodamol is 30. And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to treat myself and have a cocodamol with a little tea and popcorn tonight as I watch Night Country. And I took it and it made me feel instantly like shit. I am just not someone who can even mess around with painkillers. I didn't feel high. I didn't feel groggy. I didn't feel fuzzy. I didn't feel sleepy. I didn't feel anything. I just felt like kind of sick. And then despite there being no caffeine in it, because I Googled like, why am I awake all night? It sent me into this tailspin of being like completely wired the entire night. I went to bed at 10. I didn't fall asleep till midnight, but then I had to like do one of the wake ups and feeds and nappy changes with the kids. Fenna's nappy was wet and I keep my children bone dry. A lot of people ask me this about potty training too. Do you put nappies on them at night? I do, but only as a fail safe. Fred is up using the potty and Fenna will pee a little bit in her nappy overnight. She doesn't like to, I can already tell. She's wiggling and being like, and I just, I don't want her up and like roused by the light that many times. It's a dark room. I have a potty in the room, but like for now, yes, she wears a nappy at night. Then I slept from 12 to two and then I was up from two to 4.30 and then Fenna woke up for good at 5.30. And I was just like, Cocodamol, no. What an absolute dog's breakfast that was. It was hell. But anyway, that's done now. And if you have been trying to have another baby and you don't know why you're not getting pregnant this time, it could be, you know, secondary infertility is often a mystery to people, but I wouldn't have found this if I hadn't been like super proactive and been like, I feel a bit weird. And who knows, like maybe you have it with no symptoms whatsoever, but it is one of the many things that could prevent implantation. Will we have another baby? Will we won't? I don't know, but this is one of the things that I wanted to get out of the way. Came home from my anesthetic and had a lovely night, despite the cocodamol. And I've been dying to get back on the podcast because so much has happened in news, in pop culture. I went out for Valentine's Day with my gorgeous husband, Bobby Kay. We have been out entirely too often this week with the release of Parental Guidance and the imminent release on Comedy Central of Rosie Jones' brand new show with team captains Judy Love and myself called Out of Order. I thought that it would be good to do a little promotion, do a little red carpet here and there, go to a few events. That is fucking done and dusted now and I couldn't be happier. It's fun to be glam and to go out and to get good photos together and to have a night away. When I say a night away from the kids, I mean to have 
6 p.m. until 10 p.m. away from the kids. But it kicks our ass. And we don't normally do anything for Valentine's. But this year, I was invited. And I wasn't going to say it until I knew that I had permission. But now I see it's in the news. And they had some official photographers there. I was invited by one of my favorite people on the planet, Giles Brandreth. If you don't know Giles, what are you doing? He designed, along with his business partner, a lot of those iconic Princess Diana sweaters. He was wearing one of his designs on the night that I saw him. Um, he's always the funniest person when he comes on a panel show. I feel like we have such a great rapport. He's so charming and verbose, and he's friends with everyone. I just love Giles. He invited Bobby and me to a Valentine's soiree to celebrate the works of William Shakespeare. And then I saw in the invitation that that soiree would be attended by none other than the king and queen Camilla. I responded, yes, I will of course go. Not because of the king and queen, but because I've been to other events hosted by Giles and it's always a laugh. It's always a really unique and special night. And like I said, I love Giles. Then the tragic news came out of the king navigating a cancer diagnosis, battling cancer. We don't know what kind of cancer it is. The palace are keeping pretty hush about that. I didn't learn anything extra on the night apart from, I think it's good that they're telling us that there's something going on with cancer because British people, especially men, I think struggle to talk about their health, struggle to visit the doctor. And I think this opens conversations and encourages people, you know, knowledge is power. So the king then unfortunately bowed out. He couldn't be there on that evening, but it would still be attended by Camilla and everyone did a beautiful speech, uh, toast, a toast rather. Everyone did a toast. Giles gave a wonderful speech and sent the king their best wishes. So Camilla was there. The glitterati of like the grand dames of British cinema and theater were there. Joanna Lumley was there. Judy Dench was there. Um, Jimmy Carr was, of course, there. Stephen Fry was there. Brian Cox from Succession was there. I saw David Mitchell. I saw David Baddiel. I saw a lot of cool comedians. I met some duchesses. Um, it was just a really, really cool night. Maureen Lipman was there. I had a great time, and it was beautifully decorated. A wonderful spread. The chefs did a great job of canapes. There were English wines and French champagnes and loads of flowers, and it was just like, thank you, Giles Brandreth for curating a night where we could do something romantic for Valentine's. And here's some of the works of William Shakespeare. Oh, Robert Lindsay did a reading. And then someone else that Bobby was really impressed by, but I didn't know. There are a lot of like very impressive men in cinema that I don't know because I don't watch those kinds of movies. So if this is like an Oscar winner who does a lot of spy films or like action films. Yeah, there was this guy and Bobby was like, he's like Tom Cruise, why don't you know him? And I was like, well, he's not like Tom Cruise. Otherwise he'd be Tom Cruise. Like, I don't know who that guy is. But I will say, the speech that he gave roused the audience. It was great, it was wonderful, it was so cool. And I met Camilla and I did this really embarrassing bow because I wasn't really sure about the protocol. And I sort of was like, ah, I panicked. I didn't know that I was gonna meet Camilla. And I have briefly met the late queen, Elizabeth, whom I loved very much. I know that you're supposed to curtsy when you see her. So I saw Camilla and I just sort of, ah, and she said, hello. I said, well, and I did this sort of bow thing. And then I saw other people just shaking her hand. So I fucked that. But otherwise it was a wonderful night. It was a wonderful night. The real king and queen of America are of course Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. I mean, what couple has had a week like that? Sunday to Sunday, you win Grammys, you win Album of the Year, you win the Super Bowl. And I feel like I am sick and tired of speaking about Taylor Swift, of hearing her name. I love Taylor Swift, but she needs a break. There is a professional private plane tracker who was tracking her every move and the police and the Secret Service had to tell him like, can you please stop? Like, can Taylor Swift have some privacy, please? She's just universally beloved. So beloved. Like Taylor Swift is out here doing it all, attending the Super Bowl, raising the net worth of the NFL by something like $40 billion, like something stupid. The Swifties of the entire world are buying merch, tuning into NFL, raising our ad dollars, like all these advertisers now for the Super Bowl who already would pay a premium to advertise during the game are advertising not just to America, not just to families, not just to NFL fans, but now to Swifties as well. And that's actually where Beyonce announced her new album. She's like, excuse me, by the way, I'm a country star now. And everybody's like, mm, we might let your new song get to number two, maybe. 
Beyonce's country music is not even bad. Have you heard it? At first you're like, It's good. Beyonce can do no wrong. And I did wonder why at the Grammys she wore that Louis Vuitton suit with the hat and the long blonde hair, the cowboy hat. And I thought, is the hair attached to Beyonce? Is it attached to the hat? Because I have seen some like winter toques for sale that have hair attached to them. I was confused. And now it all makes sense. She was one week away from announcing this. And Beyonce has done hip hop, R&B. Beyonce has done ballads. Then the Renaissance album had a lot of dance and trance in it, lots of different things in there, electronic and now country. And Beyonce can do it all. Beyonce is a slow burn. You know what I mean? She's been successful for, it feels like 100 years and she'll continue to be successful for another 100 years. What was a throwback is when her husband got on stage and started talking about how Beyonce had never won album. Has Beyonce never won album of the year? Never won album of the year, he said at the Grammys. And he's like, Beyonce's had some of the best records. Beyonce, And here she is sat in the audience again as a man takes away what is effectively a Taylor Swift moment. Remember when Kanye was like, that video cost a million dollars. And Beyonce sat in the crowd like, I don't need you guys to do this for me. Okay? Everybody understands that I am Beyonce, that I am an eternal talent. And Taylor Swift can do what she likes. I'm not, like, it just looks so eggy for Beyonce. Because she doesn't need these men to do that for her. Like, we all know that awards are, I mean, look, if you want an award, you want an award, fine. But nobody's like, oh, well, Beyonce must not be that good because she's not winning album of the year. Beyonce will always be in her own league. What really fucked me off at the Grammys, and the Swifties won't like me saying this, but I'm sorry I've watched it too many times to ignore. Taylor Swift, in winning Album of the Year for the fourth time, which is historical, record-breaking, she has beat all the other artists. I don't think anyone's male or woman won Album of the Year that many times. She is historical. She was surprised. Now, when Taylor Swift wins an album of the year, like how surprised really can you be? Like you knew it was a huge album. Surely you get that you're Taylor Swift and you have an inkling that you're going to win. But she stood up and did the whole like, really? And all the fancy high fives with people like Jackie Antonoff and whomever else. And then she got up on the stage like, really guys? Wow. In her never updated Taylor Swift haircut and her very classic Taylor Swift makeup. And she sort of was dressed a little bit bridal, like a little punk bridal at the Grammys with a little hint that she'd be releasing a new album at midnight. She had a choker with a clock on it set to midnight. She had Lana Del Rey there for some reason, dressed like a goth bridesmaid in closed toe, black shoes. She dragged her up on stage. I suppose she's a collaborator. All her other collaborators and producers, and everyone starts coming on stage. So yes, the moment's overwhelming. But Celine Dion was presenting her with this award. Celine Dion. Someone who has been very open about her struggles with stiff person's disease. She's not well. Who knows how that's going to go? She's canceled tour dates. She's very emotionally, medically fragile from what I can understand. And she's one of the top female artists ever that there will ever, ever be. You would think that someone like Taylor Swift recognizes that she owes a lot of her career to women like that. But somehow... Taylor didn't even look at her. Like to take an award from someone and to manage not to make eye contact with them when doing so is almost impossible to me. So let's say I'm recording the podcast, so there might be a clip of this, there might not. I'm going to do a little visual just in case we make a clip of this. Celine's holding the award and everyone's just lost in the theater. Everyone's like, oh my God, Celine Dion is here. She's kept her coat on in case the vibes go south. Celine Dion's a woman after my own heart. She's always ready to leave a party. So she's holding the award aloft. Taylor gets on stage. Oh my gosh, wow, I can't believe it. She's looking at the audience. She's looking at her collaborators. And when she reaches out to grab the award, 
She doesn't even look where her hands are going because she's grasped this trophy so many times before in her life at other Grammys. Uh, she turns her body away from Celine to take the award and then immediately swivels, never looking at Celine, turning her back to Celine and addresses the audience and the microphone and the TV cameras. Doesn't even look. And I saw reports that she didn't look at Celine Dion. I thought, no, 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 I'm sure she did. I watched it angle, other angle, different angles. I went through this thing with a fine tooth comb. She absolutely looks like she and Celine Dion are in a fight. Celine Dion fucked Travis Kelsey the night before. Celine Dion pissed in her cornflakes this morning. Celine Dion and Taylor have like some type of years long beef. That is what it looked like. It looked absolutely deliberate. It looked absolutely purposeful. And I know it probably couldn't have been because then sources backstage allege that her team were scrambling. They knew that she'd made a big misstep and they arranged to have the lovely photo that you might've seen of Celine Dion and Taylor Swift embracing each other backstage. A lot of people were like, oh, well maybe before that photo, she didn't know if she could touch Celine Dion because of the stiff, no, she didn't look at Celine Dion. And I felt, I don't know. It's a, it's an oversight. It's a young person's mistake, but in my mind, you acknowledge uh, no matter where you are, if it's your wedding day, if you're about to bungee jump, if you just want a Grammy, if you just want the Super Bowl, I don't care what's happening. If Celine Dion is addressing you, you drop everything. You could be giving birth and you go, hang on a sec. You hold your legs together and you go, Celine Dion, thank you for your presence right now. What an honor it is to like be gazed upon by your brilliant face. Not only that, but you're giving me an award and I'm going to stop and like honor you in this moment. But, you know, players got to play. Cut to one week later and Taylor Swift is in a VIP box with her girl gang. You notice TikTok has gendered everything now. Girl gang, girl dinner, that's girl math, whatever. She's with uh, a friend that had just got back from active military duty, Ice Spice, Blake Lively, and then the usual suspects, Taylor's parents were there, Jason Kelsey, who you know is my spirit animal. The more I see Travis Kelsey's brother Jason and his outfits and just his joie de vie, the more I feel like if I were an NFL retiree, that would be me. He showed up to Vegas in the same outfit that Zach Galifianakis wore in the Hangover movie. It's just it's just a really funny guy. My favorite Kelsey by a long shot. But Taylor showed up in this amazing outfit, lovely, I mean, iconic Taylor Swift red lips, red for Kansas City Chiefs, but also red for Taylor Swift. She had the black winged eyeliner. She had her cute hair. Uh, she was giving skin. You could tell that her makeup artist was told, just highlight my collarbone, tan me a little bit. I'm going to have arms out. I'm going to be giving collarbone, black bustier tank top, black jeans. I saw the black jeans and I fucking panicked because those are area jeans by this New York designer. And I had a pair of them in my shopping basket that I had not yet checked out. And of course, when we tune into the Super Bowl, I'm not watching it live. It was on like 11:30 PM till 2 AM in the UK, not happening though. I am intermittently awake as we all know during those hours, I waited until the morning and by then I knew it would be too late. I knew it would be too late. I was like, oh, these jeans will be snapped up, gone, impossible to get because Taylor is wearing them. But lo and behold, the UK had not caught on yet. Of course they were sold out on the area website, but not on the Net-A-Porter website. And I got the jeans that moment. It's the Taylor effect. Taylor can sell anything. But listen to this, can she sell an election? According to Monmouth, it's a centrist polling firm, 46% of Americans have heard about the conspiracy theory that Taylor Swift has infiltrated the NFL fan base in order to help reelect Joe Biden. 18% of them believe it. Who knows in this day and age? I understand why people latch onto conspiracy theories. I really do. Because you can't trust anyone anymore. Mad stuff is happening right in front of our faces and we're powerless to stop it. Is Taylor Swift an instrument of the deep state? I don't really think so. Travis Kelsey is tall and smart and funny and talented and hot. I can understand if he's like some troll. Like if Taylor Swift starts dating like Kim Jong-un or whichever one is still alive, all right, then I would have my suspicions that maybe something's going on government-wise. 
But I think it's an insult to Travis Kelsey and to Taylor Swift to be like, these two have been brought together just to infiltrate a group of people who will watch the Super Bowl. No. But early doors, when they were dating, when Taylor was showing up at some games, it really was benefiting the NFL. And you always have to follow the money. I don't think their relationship is manufactured, though many celebrity relationships have been manufactured. But Bobby was saying that some people believe that refs were not calling fouls on the Chiefs and were calling penalties on other teams to sort of give the Chiefs whatever little helping hand that they could to lead them to the Super Bowl. Because the more games they play, the more Taylor's in attendance, this Taylor Swift effect earns like millions and hundreds of millions and billions of pounds for the NFL. So it's almost unbelievable that there wouldn't be some upper hand given to the Chiefs. It just makes sense. Now, they're a great team anyway. They have Patrick Mahomes, who is my favorite NFL player because I like his wife. See, this is how you get me interested in American football. Like, Brittany Mahomes, for me, was the early Taylor Swift that I needed to, like, indoctrinate me into caring about the NFL. Brittany Mahomes walked so Taylor Swift could run. And I have to tell you, I watched Quarterback on Netflix and fell in love with the Mahomes family and decided that maybe Brittany Mahomes was going to be my best friend. And I had the exact same feeling when I saw Brittany Mahomes hanging out with Taylor Swift as I had when I saw Taylor Swift wearing my area ripped crystal denim jeans. I was like, oh, just like I'll never get those jeans now. I'll never get Brittany Mahomes to be my friend. But I have a special USP. I have the British USP. I got the jeans. I'm going to get Brittany Mahomes next. And now we're going to take a short break and hear from our lovely sponsors. When we return, I have two weeks worth of your letters, your dilemmas, your problems, your comments, and we'll dive straight into those. Be right back. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Loads and loads of your letters to get through this week. Uh, Really exciting ones as well. Catherine, why won't she let me have her husband's sperm? I can think of a few reasons. Catherine, I've spoken to my married best friend about the possibility of him giving me sperm for insemination. For full disclosure, Alexander and I had been a couple. Oh my God. Honey, for the best part of six years from when we were 14 and 16 years old, respectively. The relationship fizzled out. I cheated a lot. (laughs) We've always been just friends, meaning that romantic element was no longer present. I've apologized to him a lot and spoke about it in therapy on and off because I was plagued by the guilt. I mean, and also you were a child, essentially a teenager. I don't hold Bobby's indiscretions against him. You know what I mean? He left me and he didn't cheat on me, but he dumped me for football and like he was a kid and you were a kid. Okay. He's come fully round. I was the best person at his wedding. And I'm close friends with his wife now, too. I'm sort of the Joe to their Chandler and Monica, Joey. Whilst they live in Germany, this is why they're accepting this, because they're German. I'm thinking straight away, like if I'm marrying my husband and he's like, I'd like my ex-girlfriend from when I was a child of six years we dated and now she's just my best friend. I want her to be my best person at our wedding. I'd be like, how about someone you've never fucked? That's my boundary for a best man or a best woman, a best person at a wedding. Like someone that your dick hasn't been anywhere near, please. We see each other regularly, not more than two or three times a year. 
He has told his wife that I would like to have a baby that is genetically half his, and she is not supportive of this. Wow. He would quite like to have a child with his wife, but she feels too young and carefree at 35 to take this step. I mean, nobody sent her the statistics then. Their relationship has been a bit rocky as they too have fallen into a habit of being more friends than romantic lovers. What the fuck? I've had a look at London Sperm Bank, but ultimately it doesn't sit right with me to have a stranger's baby when it doesn't feel God-given since it's not derived by regular intercourse with a partner. So wait a minute. Oh my dude. So you're even saying that you're not going to use IUI or IVF to have Alexander's sperm? You want to fuck him? What? Their relationship? What? I'm not particularly religious, just conservative. Not in the Tory sense. I'm just German, so I'm a bit like Bobby. I reckon you understand what I mean by that. Any advice on how to convince Alexander's wife to agree to me having some of his swimmers? No. No. You can't have this woman's husband's kids. You can't do it. I'm not German, but this is a bridge too far even for me. Like, I can't even get my head around it. German, Japanese, I don't care. This is not a cultural thing. Don't try to like pass this off on your Germanic lineage and like, oh, it just makes the most sense. It really makes no sense at all. You don't want a sperm donor because it's not like God given you have to use IVF for that and be inseminated. Well, this leads me to believe that you're trying to fuck Alexander, even though you haven't expressly said that. Like, what's the difference? And this woman does maybe want to have his kids one day. 35, she's got to start thinking about it quite seriously, if I'm honest. But let's say she's freezing eggs now. You don't know where her situation is. Or let's say she's going to be fertile in her 40s. Like she's waiting three, four, five years, and she just does not want his first child to be with you. And you have to respect her boundary if you want to still be friends with this couple at all. London Sperm Bank, I agree with you. It's got some weird jizz on there. I didn't like any of it either. But London Sperm Bank have a partnership with Seattle Sperm Bank, and that is where I found sperm that I thought was acceptable to me. Or make a friend who doesn't have a wife. There are a lot of guys out there in Germany and elsewhere who are like cool and smart and funny and good genetic candidates for a variety of reasons. You don't want this hell in your own life. You don't. I, I don't like this friendship, but if... If it's meaningful to you, don't spoil it by having a baby with this guy. You can't do that. You're No, <laughs> I am so team wife on this one. You are naughty. No. Medical autonomy in Sweden. Catherine, <clears throat> I was listening to you discuss body autonomy on last week's podcast, and it stirred up some feelings in me. For background, I'm 40. I'm from England, and I moved to Sweden like 20 years ago. I have a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old. In September last year, I received an email from the Swedish NHS telling me I would no longer be able to access my 12-year-old's medical records once he turned 13. I can apply for a paper copy, but I might not necessarily receive it. The healthcare system and my child can decide against it if they feel it would affect his mental health. Initially, I wasn't worried, as he's a boy who doesn't care about anything except football and Fortnite. But after listening to your podcast about 15-year-olds being given the freedom to leave school to get on the pill and other hormones, it made me think, what would happen if my child wanted to transition? Would I be told? Our relationship seems very similar to yours and to Violet's. We're very open about all things. I feel very similar to how you signed off. I'm so happy that it's available for the kids that need it and who don't have a safe space, but not for my kid. I think a lot of these issues, I mean, by the way, that there's not a clear answer for, so we'll just never get to the bottom of it. That's what I've decided. Like every family, every situation's different. No one can exist in a vacuum of their own rights. There's never going to be a perfect answer that suits all families. But when we're making a lot of this legislation, we go, oh yeah, that would be fine. That sounds like it makes sense, but not for my kid. Well, everybody's kid is somebody's kid. So like, where does it end? I did have some emails last week from people in the trans community who were like, Catherine, nobody's like taking kids out of school and transitioning them and doing this. And this is like rhetoric that harms the trans community. I wasn't even talking about that. I was talking about cisgendered women, like being born women, being given gender affirming 
hormones effectively, which is what going on the pill is. And a lot of us didn't get the pill to protect ourselves from pregnancy. We got the pill because we thought that it would affirm our gender. We thought it would give us bigger boobs and a bigger ass. That is why I went on the pill when I was 15. So trans issues aside, it's like, should I have been able to do that at 15 without my mother's consent? I mean, not ideally, but we don't live in a perfect world. That's so interesting about Sweden. Although I feel like Sweden usually does the right thing. So if Sweden is sending you a letter being like, "Mm, by the way, your son's got his privacy age 13. I mean, Sweden leads the way. Okay. Oh, another email about the discussion surrounding medical autonomy. As a youth worker, I can sign young people up for a C card where they can access condoms and dams. Nobody's using a dental dam. Nobody in the history of the world has ever used a dental dam. Is that just me being old fashioned? (laughs) First of all, okay, I'll be very indiscreet now, like I always am. I'm not like, I don't like people going down on me. It's not my thing. It's really not my thing. People have tried. It's a pointless, like I just feel bored and like, awkward and I make faces at like the reality TV show cameras that aren't there. I'm like, what is this guy doing? But anyway, if anyone pulled out a dental dam, it just doesn't feel like in my world. Okay. But you're giving these to young people, young people, please write me. Don't, if you're under 16, I don't want to hear about your use of dental dams, but like who's using a dental dam, send me a letter telling everybody everything at gmail.com. Okay. So you give people a C card where they can access these things free of charge discreetly at many locations, including youth clubs. Well, this is not a British letter because we no longer have youth clubs. Under the age of 16, we use the Fraser guidelines to assess if the young person is competent to give their own consent. When going through the Fraser guidelines with a young person, we encourage them to speak to their parents about this, but we wouldn't tell their parents. We also explain risks involved with sexual activity, including balances of power and enthusiastic consent. Under 16 sex is a gray area legally as they could be prosecuted, but it's unlikely if both parties are consenting. As a youth worker, I would rather they were making safe and informed choices and we keep an atmosphere free of judgment so that young people can come talk to us about anything. I think so too. If the young person's under 13, we would not be able to sign them up and would make a referral to social care or police if they have disclosed sexual activity. As in law, an under 13 cannot give consent. The Fraser guidelines come from a legal case, Gillick versus West Norfolk and Weisbeck, when in 1986, a parent tried to sue the local NHS for giving contraceptives to her under 16 daughter and the parent lost the case. These guidelines are used for all medical treatments and not just sexual health. The young person's consent would override the parents, e.g. with vaccines. If a parent said no, but a young person deemed competent by the Fraser guidelines says yes, then the young person would receive the vaccine. Oh, I just hate that age. I hate it for me. I hate it that I'm going to be entering this no man's land with my daughter soon. It's such a tricky time because I remember feeling like I was so grown up and I knew everything and I made so many really fucking dangerous, stupid mistakes. Like so many, some that could have killed me genuinely. I mean, people in my town like drove drunk, got into cars with guys who were drunk, drove to America. Like we would hide in cars and go to America sometimes. My friends like would, oh, like it's amazing that girls my age and boys my age made it though. Like honestly, not all of us did. And we started having sex too young and drinking too young and people were taking drugs too young. And we got away with it all because there were no phones. Like we, I didn't even have a cell phone at that age and we weren't publishing every single thing that we did on social media. I mean, maybe we need to keep them on Snapchat just for like evidence purposes. One more take on confidentiality among children. Catherine, as a mother, I truly believe that I know and love my children more than anyone else. Yes, there are some really awful parents in the world, but I still think the majority of parents care deeply about their children's well-being and try their best to help them. That my children's teachers would conceal and encourage such a monumental change in my child as social transitioning or taking cross-sex hormones without informing me goes against every parental instinct in my body. So I think what we're talking about in this country is not the use of hormones. 
is just the use of like social transitioning. So if a child at a British school says like, I would like to be called this and my pronouns are that, I think that is the only thing that schools in this country are talking about right now. Nobody's giving them testosterone, blah, blah, blah. But like I said, I was taking hormones like female hormones in the form of birth control pills before I was 16. But my school didn't let me do that. I just went to the sexual health clinic. I don't know. I don't know. All right. But let's be clear. Let's not have like, let's not blow this out of proportion and have people hysterical. Okay. I've been an ally to the gay community since I was 12, but a homophobe age 11. (laughs) And my best friend told me she had a crush on a girl when the T was added to all right, where's this email going? When the T was added to LGB, I didn't give it much consideration besides my total acceptance. But the recent surge in transitioning children on really poor medical basis has me worried that we're headed back toward old-fashioned gender stereotypes. We've gone from the freedom of a boy can express himself however he wants to the regressive, if a boy likes dresses and dolls, he must be a girl. Uh, all right. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to get into the rest of this because it's not a discussion that I want to have on this podcast because I think that nobody wins. It is so complex. And I also feel like a lot of the information that we're receiving is maybe not the whole truth. I think that there is a lot of fanning of the flames of anti-trans sentiment and we're supposed to be really invigorated by this whole argument when when the reality is it's it's not like all these kids are transitioning and schools certainly aren't transitioning under 16s or like the the use of the word castration or medical or chemical castration or hormone like that's just not happening to the extent that some people think that it is so like i get what you're saying but i'm going to move on to the next email that is titled Catherine's eyebrows. Catherine, I'm a longtime fan and podcast listener from Kelowna, BC. May I ask what color, shade of product you use on your brows? I have similar coloring to you and I've never been able to find a good match for my brows. Yours always looks so amazing. That's a nice, nice calm email that we can really sink our teeth into. Um, I see a lovely girl called Hannah Kelly and you can find her on Instagram, H-A-N-A Kelly at Delianat the name of her company. I don't really know how to pronounce, but she does microblading on me. And then I take eyebrow gel and sort of laminate my own eyebrows every day. And then I take a little bit of eyeshadow, genuinely like brown eyeshadow. And I just kind of go over it a little bit. I don't use an eyebrow pencil and that's what I have found works for me. And that's an answer that everyone can agree with. Age gaps and threesomes. Catherine, I'm friends with two girls from my hometown. Let's call them Jane and Kate. Kate and I moved away, but we still talk. And Kate's little sister still lives in our hometown, same as Jane. Jane's in an open relationship with a terrible man. Aren't many of them. He's abusive. They have had no contact orders many times. He's controlling and manipulative. She met him by having a threesome with her coworker who was dating him at the time. And he left this chick for Jane. That's a nice story to tell at your wedding. Kate called me freaking out last week because Jane and her boyfriend had a threesome with Kate's little sister. No. Oh, this sister's barely legal. We're almost 30 and the boyfriend is in his early 30s. The little sister just got out of a terrible relationship and the way she talks about the boyfriend leads us to believe that she's fallen for him. Jane's not aware that I know she had sex with the little sister. However, I've started distancing myself from her and she's commented on that. My question is, do I tell Jane I know what happened and warn her the sister has caught feelings? They're still sleeping together and apparently this has been going on for months. I'm disgusted since we've known this little sister our whole lives and it sounds like the second she turned 18, they started sleeping together. Kate is pissed and blocked her on everything and is done. I don't know what to do or if I should just stay out of it. Uh, let me go back to the beginning. I'm friends with two girls from my hometown. All right. So you've been friends all the time. And this is her little sister who's barely 18. Oh, man. I mean, do you know this little sister well enough to have a chat with her? Like, forget about Jane for now. Do you know Kate's little sister well enough to be like, hey, girl, I've known all my life and just turned 18. I'm in town for whatever time. Like, do you want to grab coffee? And then be like, listen. We've all been very stupid and young. I know you just got a really bad relationship and you're finding comfort in this or whatever. You know how upset your sister is. 
I haven't gone to Jane, but like, this is fucked and try to get her out of that situation. Because my worry is that if this guy's really terrible and they've had no contact orders and he met Jane in the same way by like leapfrogging from a previous girlfriend in a threesome scenario like he's in now, that maybe Jane's just not in the driver's seat of this relationship. And she's still, you know, I'm not absolving her of responsibility. And this is a really wild example. This is a wild example, but it's the first thing that came to my mind. There's a very famous case in Canada. Um, it's Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka, and it's really sick. So don't read about it if you are triggered by any uh, imprisonment, murder, or sexual assault of women. But basically, it was right near where we grew up in St. Catharines, Ontario. Paul Bernardo was this like apparently handsome man, but you know how we always say killers are really handsome? And he had this girlfriend, and they were like the Ken and Barbie couple. And this is how the news portrayed them. And the girlfriend was Carla Homolka, and she was blonde, and she was beautiful too. And they were together, and they were married, and they would capture girls, young girls, and do the worst things imaginable to them. And then for his birthday, she gifted him her like drugged little sister. And I just feel like when the trial came, and this is the bit that I'm talking about, when the trial came, she got a more lenient sentence because the argument was like, well, I was in this relationship with him where he like instructed me to do all these things. And she just like lives in Canada now under an alias and has her own kids. And like other parents have to see her on the school run. And I feel like she possibly, very possibly should have got a longer sentence. So I'm not absolving Jane, but I'm just saying like, he to me sounds like a huge red flag. And if you have any influence over Kate's little sister, maybe Kate and you together telling this girl like, get the fuck out right now or else, I don't know what you could threaten her with. She can't. Oh, she's catching feelings for him because, you know, she's a special kind of honey that is obviously tasty to an evil bee. Her first boyfriend was bad and this guy's bad and she just needs to recognize it somehow. And I think the or else would be like, everyone who knows Jane is going to turn their back on her and then he's eventually going to leave her for you. And then what are you going to do? You two are going to be together with this guy. Show him, show his police reports. Start with Kate. And if you can't get through to Kate, then of course I would talk to, I wouldn't want to be friends with someone like Jane. I'd be like, this is crazy. You're sleeping with our friend's little sister who just turned 18. She's almost 30. That's inappropriate with or without this guy. But I would shake Jane and be like, get, you get away from this guy as well. Like everyone's so polite. Oh, I don't want to tell Jane. Fuck Jane. But try to get to Kate. <sighs> okay. Catherine, he went through my phone and whispered, his findings in my ear as we slept. My boyfriend and I broke up in the summer and we've kept close contact and we regularly still hang out. We've occasionally had sex. One night when I was asleep, he went through my phone and saw messages from a new guy I've just started talking to who I'm actually quite interested in. He woke me up at 4 a.m. whispering the new guy's name in my ear and even naming the restaurant me and my new guy were going to visit. I was obviously startled and I told him everything and he was very angry. I called it off with the new guy as I was too nervous to meet him now that my ex knew where we were going to be hanging out. But I feel like I've thrown something away which could have been good. However, since then, I feel bad, like I shouldn't have thrown it all away. And I also feel I can no longer maintain the friendship with my ex due to the privacy violation. My ex sees nothing wrong with it, but am I being deluded and should I have told him I'm starting to talk to someone new? Like, this is why you have to be careful with all this overlapping because feelings are involved and boundaries are different. And obviously, I don't know what your phone privileges were while you were together, but obviously now, even in your casual sexual relationship, this man feels emboldened to check your phone. And I would have him straight out of my life for doing that. It's like, hang on, we're not together anymore. We haven't been for some time. We hang out, we're sleeping together. Like, I don't know what you want with this guy. I'd be like, what are, what are your intentions? Do you want to get back together? Do you not want me seeing other people? Because that's not our arrangement right now. Our arrangement is that we're friends and we've had sex and you've crossed a boundary by going on my phone. That's what's happening now. And then if you feel like there's been some misunderstanding and you want to get back with this guy and he just didn't communicate that to you properly, but this is what he wants too, then talk about that. But I don't think that's what you want if you feel bad for throwing the new guy away. The new guy must be like, what the hell? He doesn't know any of this. 
And the ex seems really creepy for whispering all this stuff in your ear while you were sleeping. And he's an ex for a reason. I think you're done with this old guy. I would just cut him off and I would get back in contact with the new guy. And I'd be like, oh, sorry. I went a little bit cold. I wasn't sure what I wanted, but I am now unentangled, unencumbered. And I would like to schedule a new date with you and see how it goes. It's tough to leave an ex. Like, ah, well... It isn't tough for me. There was n- there's no scenario where I would be split up with someone and still fucking them. No. I would be like together with them or not. But I'm very vanilla. Fena has given my husband intense baby fever. Hmm. Interesting. Catherine, Fena Grace has ruined my life. <laughs> my husband and I sat down to watch Parental Guidance. We had a lot of laughs, but every time gorgeous Fena comes on the screen... My husband makes cooey noises and asks me for another baby. Like you and Bobby, we have three children already and we're on the fence about a fourth. Well, I thought we were agreed that we'd finished at three, but now this guy's trying to get another one out of me. So in many ways, it feels like we are on this journey with you. I'm looking forward to seeing how the show ends. (laughs) Hopefully not with me being pregnant. Oh, dude, Fena Grace is dangerous because she's like the most perfect, happy gorgeous baby, but you tell your husband from me that we filmed parental guidance not too long ago and already Fred has like calmed, settled into himself. He's so funny. He's so articulate. He's gentle. He's kind. His personality's really come out. He's got over the terrible twos. Fred kind of had terrible twos for like three months and that was it. And now he's like a gentleman. And Fena is a pure thug. Thug life Fena. She can talk loads now and her favorite word is no, no, and mama, and she just chases me around the house, mama, and she pushes people, and she has like no fear of anything, and she jumps off furniture like she's nuts. So tell your husband, just in the same way that my skin looks like freshly fallen snow on camera, and my eyes pop because they're apprentice blue, uh, Fena's best moments were captured on Parental Guidance. And if we film series two, you're going to see that she's a bit of a handful. We love her. You wouldn't be wrong to have another baby. But like, see, this is why I'm confused as to why Bobby's dragging his feet about it. Of course, your husband wants another baby because husbands, even really hands-on husbands, I think, do less than the moms. Biologically, they do less. And then like afterwards, I still think they do less, even though they're great. Bobby's great. And Bobby, you know, ebbs and flows. He's absolutely hitting it out of the park right now in his greatness. Yes, I still do co-sleep with the children, but that's because I insist on doing it. Maybe he's great because he gets seven hours sleep every night, (laughs) but he's wonderful. Is he golfing today? Yes, he is. But the babysitter's here and that was pre-organized. Have another baby, I think. This has been one of the uh, themes in parental guidance that's really got people divided. Some people are like, It's so irresponsible to have another baby. The planet's on fire. What are you doing? Pressuring Bobby to have another baby. Don't have another baby. You're old. You're selfish. I've had like those kind of comments. And I've also had people who, like me, understand the simple pleasures of life and like the things that matter and the things that don't. And the fact that five years from now, I won't be able to have another baby at all. So like Bobby can have another one with his next wife if he so chooses. She'll be 20 years old. They'll have seven kids. But also, I'm tired. People are such losers. Oh my gosh. So a lot of people have written in about parental guidance. That's great. So many fans, Joanne said, so many wrote in quite perturbed that you appeared to be in the car without your seatbelt. Please God, I would not be happy if you died, said one fan. I have my seatbelt on all the time. They are so meticulous about that when you're filming that you can kill someone in a film, but you can't not have your seatbelt on in the getaway car. You know what I mean? It's wild. So, and also my car beeps when I don't have a seatbelt. So I promise you I had it on, but maybe I moved it because the microphone is right here. So I might have had it tucked under a boob or something and you didn't see it, but like, holy shit. There are so many bigger problems. I don't know if you were wearing a seat. I hope you complained to Ofcom about that as well. Jesus. Oh no. So we have to end on an email like this. I am like the new police. You know how people are like, defund the police. In America, there's that whole movement, defund the police, and maybe it's traveled over here. That doesn't mean give the police no money. It means 
give the police money to do the things that the police can manage and then put other money into mental health services and like the Catherine Ryan pedo catcher enterprise. Catherine Ryan, my friend's partner, is a sex offender. His offense, sexting a minor. My best friend of 14 years got with a guy who fucked her over from day one. He borrowed money. He then left her. He cheated. He was a shitty human being to start with. Years and years later, we kind of accepted the fact that no matter what, she was staying with him. They had a family together with multiple children. We had our guard up. Many years passed. She seemed happy. He seemed like a change guy. Until it came to light, he was sexting an underage girl. He was arrested and released on bail. As you can imagine, this tore her world apart. Her family and friends became extremely concerned. Initially, she seemed strong-willed and determined to leave him, but then she started to believe his excuses. I knew it wasn't a young girl. I just wanted some dirty talk, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward two years later, and he's now on a child sex offenders register, something I've had to find out for myself, as my best friend did not tell me that he had been officially charged. I've cut ties with her since finding out. I feel like I cannot and will not be associated with someone who supports or even excuses the actions of a man like him. But she can't understand that if I don't have anything to do with him, then it shouldn't affect our friendship. I'm so torn because although I know she's making huge mistakes that sicken me, she's obsessed with this absolute vile narcissist cretin, and I can tell she genuinely believes what he says. Shall I be her friend and ignore what's going on, or should I cut ties with her? I'm extremely close to her, to her family. We have the same friendship groups. I genuinely feel so sad that I've lost my best friend, and I miss her more than anything, but she has chosen him over all her friends, all her family, and over what is right. I'm trying to imagine my best friend being that stupid, and unfortunately, there are certain wizards evil, narcissistic psychopaths who have power over the women who love them, any gender, I suppose, who love them, and they are able to bewitch them out of their own sense. You know what I mean? Like you have said yourself that this friend believes he's innocent. Whatever he told her is so much more attractive than the truth that the safeguarding part of her brain is like, oh, Oh, thank God, because for a minute there, I thought you'd married and had all these kids with a fucking pedo, but oh, no, no, he didn't know she was underage and he just wanted some dirty talk and he didn't really cheat on me. He didn't, oh, okay, it's all right. And then your brain wants to patch you up so that this horrible, horrible thing isn't happening. So I get that. I have witnessed all types of like delusion from people in my life, delulu. And this woman is delulu right now because it's so much safer than unpacking her entire life and believing this sick, sick truth. So I would not cut her out of my life. Um, I would make it very clear under no uncertain terms that like he was never going to be around me or any of my children. And I would tell him personally to his face that he could fuck off, but that's just who I am. But I would say to her like, listen, I would say to her what I've said to you. I'd say, I understand why your brain is believing this. And I think I could even see a scenario where my brain might do the same to keep me safe. You don't want to think that the father of your children is a pedo. And you don't want to think that the man that you've invested so much of your life in has betrayed you in this way. And you don't want to believe any of it. And so for now, your brain is keeping you safe and helping you to not believe that. But there might come a day where this all comes falling apart and when that day comes, I will always be here for you because you're a good person and I love you and you are wonderful with or without him and you have done nothing wrong. Like she still needs a support system because if she loses all her friends and family, then all she has is him and then she's really going to cling on to him and she has to believe him then. So it's hard, but I think you and everyone who loves her need to create a safe place for her to fall because fall she will. Because this dude's a pedo. And maybe you could go undercover and try to entrap him again. Is that legal? Uh, That's what I would do. I would be watching this guy. I'd be like a spider monkey on this guy's back. I would hire IT people. I would be like posing as like a 14-year-old and messaging him. Listen, I'm so sorry that you're going through this, but 
you stick with your girlfriend. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Sorry that there are so many like sex offenders and pedos out there, but please continue to write to me about them or about anything you ever want to write to me about. The email is telling everybody everything at gmail.com. Thank you so much for watching Parental Guidance. It's on every Monday, W channel at 9 p.m. You can also watch the whole series on UK TV Play for free. Please don't watch it from abroad with a VPN like VPN Express, Express VPN, Tunnel Bear. Don't do that. It's unethical. It's disgusting. You make me sick. I think someone's uploaded all of it to Reddit as well for free and maybe YouTube at some stage. I don't know. It's not my business. I watch things ethically. I'll see you next week. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com